You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, and welcome to the Business Hour. Today's business at hand is focusing on what it takes to design and build and revitalize and make cities more livable and harnessing existing infrastructure to create healthy, sustainable environments. And in that regard, perhaps no project has done more to revise a city center than Atlanta's walkable Beltline project. And with this project as a foundation, my guest, who is the concept creator and founder, Ryan Gravel, has taken steps beyond the Beltline to support uh, intelligent urban environments, and we'll be talking about that, uh, the Beltline, and his uh, practice um, helping uh, other cities to become more livable. Thanks for taking the time, and welcome to the Business Hour, Ryan. Great. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, bro- uh, Ryan, let's start with the basics of, uh, of uh, intelligent urban design a- as you see it, uh, and you can characterize it a lot of different ways, but I want to take... Uh, the approach where we characterize uh, what's what's missing in so many communities, uh, whether it's a lack of uh, walkability and, and and the congestion or um, not enough green space. But what are what are some of the the things that you see that uh, are have become inherent in, in in many of our cities, which make them not as livable? And then we can uh, switch to talking about. Uh, the kinds of things uh, that that make a city more livable and ways to to revitalize the city. Um, even we can touch on uh, even the poor location of some cities. Um, uh, it's it's not just Las Vegas that located itself in a in a place that uh, it shouldn't be, but uh, other cities have done that as well. So, um, what do you consider to be some of those things that uh, make cities less livable? Well, I think it's important to see. Well, urban design is, you know, basically design um, at the scale of the city, and it's the design of the uh, urban environment that surrounds us. And 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 the purpose of the des- of urban design, and the, really the purpose of lots of things that we'll talk about today, um, is to support us, to support and give us the kinds of lives that we want. Um, and that change, that idea of what we want. There's a there's a range of different answers, of course, for different people want different kinds of uh, lifestyles, and it also changes over time. So when you look at the challenges that we're facing today, those those places were built by decisions that were made earlier that might have been the right decision in their time for the people that it served. Um, so you know it's it's a little more complex than just saying you know what's wrong with it now i mean you you've got to understand it kind of in a context and and it and that's changing so right now um you know the lack of uh i think what what a lot of people are sort of recognizing is they're they're fed up with traffic they're tired of traffic well traffic exists for for reasons and for Decision. We made decisions that led to traffic. We continue to make decisions that, that create more traffic. Um, we, we of course, don't want to blame um, uh, yesterday's urban planners for doing things that were uh, designed to make cities less livable. I mean, as you no, said, no, they, they, were, they, they did the best they could with uh, the knowledge of, of that time. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know, my grandparents, along with everybody else, their their era, you know, laid the foundation for today what today we would call sprawl. Uh, but at their time, they just called the future, you know, and it was. And you can't separate the the construction of the physical world from the other things that were going on at that time. They would have never imagined uh, that the decisions that they were making would lead to the challenges that we're facing today. Um, they were just trying to. Um, you know, live the kinds of lives that they want to have room and, and fresh air and live out on the edge of town where it was comfortable and easy to get to. And, um, people, their kids had, um, you know, bedrooms and good schools and, you know, the open road and all of that. And those were, it's just, you know, we've, we've, I don't know what I'm saying now. I feel like I'm rambling. (laughs) No, 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 you're not rambling because the thing is, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, they didn't, they, they made, uh, the best decision that they could in their time, and the experts at that time were were, were um, making similar decisions, looking at uh, the geometry of roadways and the the materials for driving on. That was the future, and it was it was designed for uh, public health reasons to get away from the dirty, uh, polluted cities. Uh, to people wanted to get away from the social unrest and the strife and the pollution in, in cities, and so the. That there was a cultural momentum that my grandparents and all kinds of other people were part of, and they're making the best decisions that they could for themselves and their families. Right. Um, I mean, it wasn't available to everybody, and I think that's really important to see that the policy that those investments and those policies were came in the context of uh, racial segregation and other kinds of inequities. Uh, but in terms of the way that. Um, uh, the phys- the relationship between the physical form of the city and, and our and our ability to shape that and create the lives that we want it you know illustrates that pretty well yeah urban planners in the 50s and 60s had the best of intentions and back yeah. in the 20s and the, yeah. you know the turn of the century and then my parents moved from moved from um, Louisiana where my grandparents lived to Shambly here in Metro Atlanta um, to take advantage of the booming economy that was a direct result of all those highways we were building the region was expanding exponentially uh, through the creation construction of highways and, and a new car oriented kind of lifestyle that were the embodiment of prosperity at that time. You know, my dad grew up poor, um, but he uh, got a job with an engineering firm designing pump stations and wastewater treatment plants to serve that sprawling economy. And it put dinner on our table and it sent me to college. It did what city building infrastructure is supposed to do. And again, it wasn't available to everybody. You look at redlining and other kinds of challenges that meant that it was only for certain kinds of people but again as, as it, it does illustrate the role of uh, city building and our ability to shape the kinds of lives that we want well in your chapter um, that uh, there's nothing wrong with sprawl which you know talks mm-hmm. about your right. growing up in in Chambly and the um, uh, the Huntley Hills uh, neighborhood where mm-hmm. you had uh, everything that you needed and, and urban planners uh uh, have always tried to do things which make uh, neighborhoods and towns more livable. Um, you know, we, we thought that shopping centers uh, within the suburbs were, were a good thing. Uh, they didn't think too much in terms of uh, walkability over great distances. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had sidewalks in a lot of neighborhoods or else uh, you could walk uh, on streets that were uncongested on the street. But you talk about, you know, it, it served its purpose 
and that it was a great place to grow up. Mm-hmm. And that's what and a lot of listeners know that we uh, are um, that America's Web Radio is mm-hmm. here in Sandy Springs, uh, a, a northern suburb of uh, a- Atlanta, and that uh, I, as a host, draw upon Atlanta as a microcosm where, for what's going on around the country and, right. and the world. Right. And when we talk about sprawl, which uh, you know has this negative connotation, mm-hmm. it, it's a city that that grows, and then with other cities developing uh, around the uh, primary city, and. People have had great lives in right. suburbs, yep. and you characterize that you had mm-hmm. a great life growing up in it uh, did, Hills. It, it did. It did what city building kind of infrastructure is supposed to do. I mean, it lifted millions of Americans to economic prosperity um, and gave them the kinds of lives that they wanted. You know, but I think it's important to acknowledge the limitations of that way of life and that and that and that. Um, the infrastructure that supports it. You know, when I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, you know, I think 285 added a lane every other year to keep keep widening. And so with the growth of the city was supported by additional capacity in the infrastructure to support that growth. But what we've learned time and time and time again um, through the through the building of those highways is that that more lanes um, and wider highways don't solve the problem, and we, and there is a limit to how far that work, you know, how far that will go, and how much that will. So, you know, today it's, it doesn't work the same way. It's not creating the same prosperity for people in the way that it was, and so I think it's important that we. You know, while we recognize that there is still a lot of value, of course, in these communities, but if we don't um, adapt them and protect them, basically, then they will be the future. Um, they will cycle into decline. Um, and you don't have to look far to see examples of that where communities are stuck in traffic so much that they can't, they can't, um, they're stuck in gridlock and they can't move and therefore they decline in both their value and, and, and in the population. You know, I, I know that you have looked at uh, other cities uh, uh, even abroad but uh, and, and we'll talk about uh, one glorious period in your life where mm-hmm. you were uh, living in Paris and, and, and lessons learned from Paris but before we get to that you know, you've seen cities around the country, uh, and, and going back to my original question, you know, what do you what do you see as some common things uh, mm-hmm. that have become problematic beyond uh, traffic and congestion? Um, you know, well, certainly, uh, you know, while uh, you know, automobile oriented. Um, uh, infrastructure was was certainly related to public health. We mentioned the idea of getting away from cities. Uh, we've we've largely solved the the challenges of uh, contagious disease. Obviously, the current coronavirus is another yeah. different kind of a story. But from you know, um, uh, but what's shifted now, of course, is to chronic diseases, diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease, other ki- things that are related to our sedentary lifestyle. So because we're dependent on cars to go to everywhere, we don't get the physical activity and exercise that we need because the air quality is uh, poor because due to the automobiles and congestion, the buildings and all the um, uh, air quality challenges, um, you know, we don't we don't. It's unhealthy in some places to be outside, especially in the heat. And so it's created all kinds of other health challenges. 
I think that we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the economic challenges that are the result of that gridlock. Um, I think the market is, you know, looking for something else in the same way that my grandparents were looking for something else. Uh, young people today are looking for something else. They don't want to be. They don't want it. They're not willing to give up an hour each way of stuck in traffic. There are other ways to live. There are other places that they can live, and they're making different choices. And so. Um, yeah, I think the commonalities in cities, large and small, whether you're talking about, you know, very expensive cities like New York or San Francisco, modestly increasingly expensive cities like Atlanta or smaller markets like Chattanooga and places like that, everybody's got uh, every city's got some range of um, uh, both. Uh, being attractive for its affordability and its urban qualities and character, and also rising taxes and rents in those communities that is pushing people to other markets. And so there's a lot of it's an interesting, it's a in, very interesting time, of course. Do you find that uh, a, a lot of communities could benefit more from uh, active parks uh, as opposed to, well, and passive parks, which where you can walk the trails, hike the trails, run the trails? Yeah, yeah you know, it's uh, really just about having a more uh, integrated. Uh, urban experience, you know, where things are walkable, public space and parks, um, but also access to transit and larger kind of regional economy and jobs and schools and all those things. And that's the the tightness of that um, lifestyle is more compact geographically, physically. And you find that not only in, in urban areas and in town Atlanta, places like that along the Beltline, but you also find it in all the little towns that were swallowed by metropolitan growth in the city. You know, when I was in high school, Meredith Square was pretty dead, but you go there today and it's gorgeous, you know. And towns all throughout the metro area are re, are. are finding themselves again people are looking you know that they, they want to live somewhere interesting they want to live somewhere with character or with some kind of authenticity it doesn't have to be the most interesting place in the world you know but it needs to have something about it that makes it compelling as a place to live okay. sprawl makes everything look the same we're going to be taking a break when we come back we're going to talk about how uh, the Beltline, uh, your concept uh, has made um, in-town living more like uh, the uh, the squares in Marietta mm-hmm. and the walkability of Decatur to uh, towns which border Atlanta. We're here with Ryan Gravel. We've been talking about what makes cities more livable, and when we come back, we'll drill down a little bit further, talk about his concept of Beltline and about other uh, projects that he has going on right after this break. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower.
America's Web Radio. Would you like with Ryan Gravel? Many of you may know Ryan as the founder of the Beltline Project concept here in Atlanta, and that project has been characterized by others, and not just me, but I personally believe it's one of the most significant projects that has influenced a, a revitalized uh, attitude about um, how to accommodate uh, people uh, and to make an environment more walkable and to make it more interesting and to Im- improve what might be called the urban fabric. And we'll be talking that, about that in a little bit. But Brian, uh, Ryan, I'm pardon me. Going back to the um, uh, things that certain urban environments or suburban environments are lacking. Well, well, on the other side of the ledger, what do you consider to be some of the, the basic uh, principles for for good urban design, um, uh, both in retrofitting a city? Uh, but also, if you have a blank canvas, which doesn't occur very often, the, you know, towns don't spring mm-hmm. up, um, uh, and, and there's not a blank canvas to be mm-hmm. worked with. But if there was, what would you consider some of the important features to be of that new town? Well, I mean, you know, for for sort of human life and dignity, I mean, I think walkability and, and proximity to the, the kinds of places that you need to go, you know, shopping, school, work, um, church, um, you know, moving around in a, in a way that's um, civilized and um, humane and um, where you have access to nature and fresh air and you have time to spend with your family and friends. I think that's, I know that's kind of abstract, but I mean, those are the kinds of places that really define, you know, in my mind are the best certainly the kinds of places that, that I would want to live. And I think most people would share those kind of broad, um, ideas. Um, I like variety though. I mean, I don't think that there's any one way to do that, to accomplish that. And I think the most interesting places in the world, um, exist in those places for reasons, you know, and, and the, and when the physical environment, uh, taps into and, and illustrates or somehow, um, um, creates a, a space that represents that kind of history, that kind of place, um, it, it's more interesting. So, for example, Atlanta is a railroad town. That's why it exists. It's built by the railroads crossing the subcontinental divide. So we're set a high on a ridge. On one side of town, the water flows to the Gulf of Mexico. On the other side of town, it flows to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, following that ridge line are these sub-ridges where the streets come in and out of downtown. So the core of the city is high on the ridge. And the railroads kind of crisscross through the city. And um, so there's this beautiful history of the sort of physical shaping and forming of the city that um, is really elegant. Um, and I think, I think ways um, urban design and, and spaces and things that uncover that story um, make it really beautiful. And so Atlanta is remarkable that the Beltline is a railroad corridor. Um, so we're tapping into that the dna of what makes this place why it why it exists here but also physically when you walk down the beltline whether you realize it or not what you're experiencing is the is the topography of the city and the and the connections to 
um, streams, different watersheds, um, nature. And I think as the project is completed, you know, and you can travel around the entire city, that 22-mile loop, the the experience of the city will be as much a, a part of that story and why you love it um, than just the sort of utility about being able to go to the store. Yeah, unlike um, uh, a city like Las Vegas that I referenced mm-hmm. earlier, um, I, I often wonder if there were uh, Native Americans that had created settlements uh, mm-hmm. just because of that uh, very uh, typography sure. and instinctively knew or, or, or thought about it being high ground. Yeah, the, I mean, you know, the, of creeks and streams. the area of Atlanta was more of a meeting ground between different um, nations, so the the uh, Muscogee people, uh, Creek Nation, and the Cherokee um, would meet along the river, um, the Chattahoochee River, and so there were trails that followed the ridge lines um, throughout metropolitan Atlanta. It wasn't a center of activity, but it was sort of a meeting ground between people. Yeah, I would think that. Uh, but even Las Vegas, I mean, Las Vegas, you know, the the was, you know, I don't know its exact history, but I assure you, there at its origin, there is some reason that it is there. Um, there's some oasis, some watering hole. There's some uh, gap, gap between some ridge lines that make that place a place where people came together. What happened, and, and you know, Los Angeles is where Los Angeles is, is because of the river. Uh, people forgot that L.A. even has a river uh, because they channelized a 50-mile-long river with concrete and just drove over it and forgot about it. But it's there because of the river, and so these places... Um, have their own origin that where people were really connected into that sense of place and had that authenticity and that compactness that made people recognize and love their community that see it as distinct and separate and beautiful from other places but what's happened in the last 60 years is that automobiles and not just automobiles but highways but not just driving but also um uh, air conditioning and uh, fast food, you know, industrialized foods and um, entertainment and television have uh, made American life more abstract from those that kind of authenticity. Uh, the highways uh, don't that highways completely ignore uh, topography and things. Think about driving over the Chattahoochee River on I-75. You barely even notice that you crossed river if you notice it at all. But, you know, 100 years ago, you would have built a big cable stay bridge like the Brooklyn Bridge to get across that kind of a river. And so uh, the, we, we've separated ourselves from um, the, the more authentic aspects of our life and the climate and the nature and the places like that. And so I think what people and, – and, and sprawl has really made everything look the same. My, my wife recently went to um, – down near Scottsdale, Arizona for a conference and she's staying in a hotel and she's, we're talking on the phone and she's saying that it looks just like Atlanta. You're in Southwest, the American Southwest and the desert and it looks just like Atlanta uh, because the, the strip malls look the same, the same out parcels with the same companies, the hotels are the same styrofoam boxes and you know, and so that, that blandness, that sameness is, is something that we don't like. You know, it's what we've been building for a long time, but I think a lot of the movement back to cities, not only urban places like Atlanta, but also the smaller towns that got swallowed by sprawl or other places, other regions, um, is people searching for something interesting. Again, they don't have to live in the most interesting place in the world, but they want to feel connected. 
um, as as more and more our lives get more and more abstract through automation and the internet and social media and all these other things we conversely have this also a real need and growing need to be connected to each other um, to bridge those divides to feel the touch and warmth of another human being and the community of people that um that want to be together and love each other. I think there's a real hunger and need for that. And I think that's actually driving a lot of this movement back to the city and um, the need for uh, better design of the places that we live. Yeah, I think your point about uh, cities being someplace uh, related to their original geography, topography, uh, and uh, sources of water, you know, being from Los Angeles, I always wondered what it would have been like mm-hmm. if they had not paved over mm-hmm. the Los Angeles yeah. uh, River. Uh, and Well, uh, you're in luck. They're going to start unpaving it. Yes, so that's exciting. I, I'm pleased. Uh, and uh, that'll be uh, a, a really interesting dimension uh, for which to create uh, more and more uh, interesting adjacent development. And uh, as I recall, in Scottsdale, they have a body of water that actually is there adjacent to the town center mm-hmm. that makes that uh, mm-hmm. more livable, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know. Well, and I, you know, I think the L.A. River is a really special story because it was paved by the Army Corps of Engineers in the 30s. They paved 80% of a 51-mile-long river with concrete. But a couple years ago, the Army Corps of Engineers agreed to a $2 billion restoration of one little piece of the river. So the the thing, and this is the same as the Beltline, it's not only changing the physical form of the city, it's changing the way that we think about the city. It's changing what our expectations are for the city, and not just us as individuals, potential users or um, community people in those spaces. But it's also changing the agencies and organizations that build the world around us, including the Army Corps of Engineers. It's changing the way that it sees the world and what it invests in. And, and I'm not saying that they're doing everything great, but but they are. But it is changing. The DOT is changing. Other people are changing because the because the population is changing, has different expectations for their lives. Yeah, there's no question I, that there are real benefits. I think from um, evolving. From organizations which paved everything mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've always thought of lots of DOTs being, you know, the commissions being made up of uh, uh, retired uh, asphalt and concrete company mm-hmm. uh, owners that knew how to mm-hmm. build highways, but this additional dimension mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the Army Corps of Engineers and with uh, DOTs, a state and federal understanding that, hey, wait a minute, the answer isn't necessarily, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, build more highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, thinking in terms of making those highways a part of livable mm-hmm. uh, communities. Right. Um, the um, I, I wanted to ask if you thought that there were groups uh, I, I, making s- towns and cities more walkable is not an easy task, and yet there have been uh, campaigns across the country to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and included in that is, is reclaiming some infrastructure, which we'll get into in just a moment in a, in a big way, because mm-hmm. we'll, I want to talk about the Beltline. Uh, and you just we just mentioned the Los Angeles River. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the reclaiming of some infrastructure. But uh, are there organizations, um, the Main Street USA organization is an organization that has helped uh, towns revitalize uh, their literally their main streets uh, and make them more walkable. Are there uh, organizations like that that you think are doing uh, really good work? 
Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's a there are a ton of um, organizations working on you know this. I mean, again, this is not the effort of one individual or one organization. It's a cultural momentum of people, and it started a lot of it started with uh, preservation movements for people who were trying to save the historic assets of a community and main street is certainly part of that story um but you know everybody from the urban land institute to um organizations like the nature conservancy and others who are engaging in you know the preservation protection of um, historical assets uh, communities of people through housing affordability and those kinds of things um, or the preservation protection of nature and habitat um, in places that otherwise will be overrun with the you know powerful new economic growth forces that we certainly see here in Atlanta. We're going to be taking a break. We're with Ryan Gravel, and we've been talking about uh, what are some of the basic principles of good urban design, what's lacking in other communities, uh, and what it takes to make a city uh, truly more livable. We'll be talking more specifically about one of his major projects, the Beltline, right after this break. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there is a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Ryan Gravel. We've been talking about what makes towns and cities more livable, uh, and conversely, what are some of the problems with uh, towns, uh, small and large, and with big cities. And one of the cities we uh, mentioned was Los Angeles, where Ryan, during the break, pointed out that the Los Angeles River, which is a channelized um, massive 50-mile, 51-mile stretch uh, of of concrete where they've accommodated, uh, um, well, where they've designed a channel to accommodate water when there's rainfall uh, to avoid flooding, and yet uh, it's a big, ugly, uh, 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 massive concrete, except in some sections, and you were pointing out that... uh, in Glendale, describe for me what uh, describe yeah. for the listeners. What well, first, ugly about. is a subjective term. I, 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 there, there are moments where all that concrete is really, really beautiful, and I've uh, witnessed it many times. But yeah, I, when I in LA, I go to a park on the near the Glendale Narrows, which is the bottom. The sides of, of it are paved with concrete, but the the bottom of it is still what they call. Um, uh, well, it's natural. It has river rock and trees and stuff in it. And there's a horse um, stable nearby. And so people get on their horses and they cross the river and go over to um, Griffith Park. And um, it's just really beautiful. So it's it's changing. And, and of course, there's organizations, the city and county of Los Angeles, um, a group called River LA, the Friends of the Los Angeles River, um, all kinds of engineering departments and other people sort of uh, rethinking the river and and really connecting Los Angeles back into its origin, its re- reason for being in a way that I think will uh, really shape um, how we how we think about the future uh, of Los Angeles. Yeah, we still have to concern ourselves uh, with uh, 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 water supply in a lot of major cities. Um, it's not clear what's going to happen uh, with uh, the Colorado River as a water source with uh, water runoff from uh, the Sierra Madres. Um, one of the um, areas that I've um, touched on in, uh, with the business hour has been uh, – desalination and that's a whole other topic but that mm-hmm. is something that will surely help um, Californians and other drought stricken areas uh, Texas is uh, looking at uh, some ambitious desalination projects but uh, uh, water source and the Los Angeles River uh, channeling uh, some of the water that uh, comes in uh, as water runoff primarily but I, I think it also uh, takes on some water from uh, the Colorado River, if yeah. not directly, more indirectly. Do you know if they're thinking of widening that small channel right in the middle to uncover more uh, river rock and uh, maybe some vegetation or create? Uh, well, I mean, obviously the ideal thing would be to just get rid of the concrete. The problem is it's channelized for a reason. It's channelized to stop downtown from flooding. And so you can't do anything to the the channel without uh, accommodating that floodwater um, upstream. And, you know, the, the there's no room, there's not a lot of room anymore because the river's been hemmed in with railroads and highways and neighborhoods and so you know that's pretty challenging uh, from an engineering perspective but i think my my interest is really you know it will never be a wild river again uh but but that doesn't mean that it can't 
we can't think of it as a river and that the river can't be designed uh, to be um, more green, more open, to provide other utility other than, you know, flood control. Um, and I think, that, you know, I'm no expert on it. This is not my project. But there are a lot of people working on it, and it's fascinating to see uh, what it means, not only the physical project, but also uh, socially and culturally, like the Beltline, how it's transforming the way that uh, Angelinos think about their own city and, and where, where they want to be and what they want their future to look like. Uh, that might be uh, the topic for another program. I was just curious whether or not that that channel, which I think might be uh, twenty to forty feet wide in some sections uh, and deeper than the other, uh, the concrete uh, 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 slopes around it, um, was going to be initially widened because you'd be taking out a less concrete than the larger structure and uh, made to be more natural and still remain a channel uh, for uh, the, the flow, which has always been relatively meager, except during times of uh, heavy rainfall, which is yeah. seldom, cause, uh, because otherwise it's like a little stream rather than yeah. a river. Um, but uh, speaking of uh, reclaiming infrastructure, uh, which is not only a major theme uh, of your book, reclaiming well, where we want to live, subtitled Reclaiming Infrastructure for a New Generation of Cities. Before we even get into the book, I want to talk about the Beltline itself. The Beltline here in Atlanta um, was a combination of uh, uh, r- railroad um, lines that you identified uh, as something that could be reclaimed and repurposed Talk us, talk to us about the earliest stages, Ryan, uh, for how you even noticed that there mm-hmm. was this rail line that was relatively circular, mm-hmm. kind of uh, surrounding the uh, the inner city, um, and uh, how you envisioned uh, that it could be reclaimed and, and, and repurposed. Well. I saw it because I'm a railroad nut. I like railroads. You know, there's just something about it. When I mentioned I grew up in Chambly and we could hear the train at night, you know, um, and my mom had a quilt store up in downtown Chambly, and, um, which was, you know, blocked from the railroad tracks. And there's just something about railroads that I just really love. And so when I went to Tech and moved downtown uh, to live in the dorm um, in the early 90s, um, I just was fascinated with the industrial, gritty railroad side of town, you know, and would go out and explore the city. I saw that there was this loop of railroads um, that was mostly underutilized, although some of them were active at the time, um, and just became sort of fascinated with it. But then I went to um, Paris for a year abroad at studying architecture and um, as part of a Georgia Tech program, and it just changed the way that I saw cities, the way that I understood, changed everything um, about my life. And um, within a month of being there, I'd lost 15 pounds. I was in the best shape of my life because I was walking everywhere I went and I was eating fresh food. And I got the the role of the built environment and shaping my own health and well-being was clear to me in a way it had just never been before. And so I was interested in um, 
how the physical city, infrastructure and public space in particular, um, shape shape our way of life or, you know, by, by creating opportunities, you know, from a, a block and a half from my apartment in Paris, I could take a subway across town or I could take a high-speed train across Europe. Um, there was multi-layered um, infrastructure for mobility. Um, I could walk to my friend's house. I could walk to the grocery store or school. You know, it was just a very robust, uh, very civilized way of life. And, and, and along the way, I saw all kinds of different people. Um, you know, you n- new people, even though you don't know them, you know, because they're part of your community and your life. Those are shopkeepers who yeah. become friends. You yeah, the tic- the ladies yeah. at the ticket counter, the metro, the guy who threw the fish at the restaurant, the seafood restaurant in the mornings, um, the guy who worked at the smoke shop and you know stood with his dog at the door, wait watching the street go by. You know, there was just really something beautiful about that life. That's not you know certainly not unique to Paris. I mean, you know, it's, it's true of uh, small towns as, as much as it is large cities. Uh, but because I had grown up in this automobile kind of environment, you know, driving to the mall, I wasn't that familiar with that. You know, that was new to me. And so I was interested in not only the physical and sort of health side of the public space and infrastructure of the city, but also the social and cultural side of it. And then, I, you know, importantly, I came home that summer graduated, lived with my parents that summer in Shambly and took a job off of Windy Hill Road. So I had to drive about 45 minutes across the top end of 285 every day. (laughs) And I saw that suddenly, you know, you're in your car, you're driving, you know, however many miles that is, but you're not moving a muscle, you know, and you're passing hundreds of thousands of people, but you're not, you don't see anybody, you know, you see your parents in the morning when you leave. And then you, the next person you see is the receptionist at the office. You don't, you don't connect with people that you don't know. You're not around people who are different from you. Um, and so, and I don't, obviously there's exceptions to all of that, but you know, as a larger kind of broad narrative, it, that infrastructure, that, traffic seemed like more like a barrier to the kind of life that I wanted. I didn't want to live like that for the rest of my life. I didn't want to do it. And again, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. If that's the choice, you know, lots of people make choices for lots of reasons. I've lived for times in my life where I had to drive in traffic and there's nothing wrong with me about that. But, you know, aspirationally, as we're looking ahead at what kind of place we want to build and create, what kind of lives that we want, you know, I was interested in something else. And so um, I took a year doing that job and then went, ended back up in at tech in graduate school for doing a joint degree with architecture and urban planning. And my thesis project had to be um, combined those two things together. So it was designed, but at a city scale. And I knew this loop of railroads, and I was interested in how you would repurpose these railroads to accommodate some other kind of life to support existing communities, revitalize the neighborhoods along the way, but also um, incentivize, you know, growth and development in, in that part of town where most of the property was abandoned industrial sites where there were drug deals and prostitutes and other kinds of things. I mean, this is a very different time in Atlanta than what you see today, right? Very different. The city had lost a fifth of its population to suburbanization and white flight. Um, this it, was, it had kind of stabilized and was just starting to grow. There were a couple of new apartment projects on the east side, but like otherwise... This was abandoned land that nobody, you know, that very few people saw a future in. And what what years were these while you were in the graduate program? 
So I've, I started grad school um, in 96, after, right after the Olympics, and I finished in 99. So my graduate thesis was finished in December of 99, just 20 years ago and two months. <laughs> I never imagined we would actually build it. You know, For me, it was just an idea about the kind of future that I wanted and, the, and how you would support that through infrastructure. So literally the thesis is that if you build uh, – the kind of infrastructure that supports the life that you want, then that's the life that you'll get. And so fast forward to today, you know, we're living this ridiculous dream. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> really, uh, I think, the evolution of uh, your mindset uh, from uh, growing up in, in Chambly and, and then the trip to Paris and the impact that that had and then coming back and, you know, pulling it all together, uh, those are really uh, pretty cool um, mm-hmm incipient uh, embryological roots of the belt line, if, <laughs> yeah. if, I, if I may. Yeah. We're here with Ryan Gravel. We've been talking about the aspects of uh, quality urban design so that cities can be and towns can be more livable. We'll be back to talk more about it after this break. morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org want to give your family our loved one the perfect gift then go online and check out the tornadobodydryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion? On America's Web Radio. Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Ryan Gravel. We've been talking about quality urban design, uh, specifically. Uh, we've been talking about um, some aspects of Atlanta here in Georgia and the work that Ryan uh, did to create the concept 
of the Beltline, and we were talking about uh, the evolution of thinking that led up to that uh, with um, growing up uh, in Chambly, uh, a suburb of Atlanta, going off to school um, for a year in Paris, uh, and experiencing the walkability uh, of Paris. I mean, in, there's no perhaps no uh, more walkable city uh, in the world for greater distances. And, and make no uh, mistake about it, uh, Paris has suburbs and sprawl oh, and traffic yeah. and all that, you know. Absolutely. But uh, but in their uh, historic center, their city center, it is a highly walkable environment. I'm wondering, was there ever an aha moment or a series of aha moments where you went, wow, I've got to try to capture some of this? Or was it more in retrospect? When you got back here and you look back fondly on those times that you spent walking for miles and miles. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to over kind of intellectualize it. I mean, I was just, I was having a great time. I mean, what better place to be 22, figuring out what you want to do for your life than Paris? You know, I... Um, the cheese, uh, baguettes, uh, yeah, wine, cheap uh, wine, fresh food, yeah. have anything to do with it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just loved it. I mean, you know, I didn't love every minute of it. Of course, I was homesick quite a bit, but because um, it was a long time and, you know, we didn't have cell phones and all this that people have now. So, um, you know, you were definitely there. Um, but... You know, got to travel and see the world and see a different way of life and um, experience that in a very uh, personal way that, you know, changed the way that I saw the world. I fell in love with cities and um, what what real city urban life is about in terms of the social and cultural sides of that. Um, and 20 years yeah, before that, uh, I was in Rome experiencing mm-hmm. much of, uh, almost all of what you're saying yeah. about your experience. You know, I yeah, it's not unique to to Paris. It could have happened lots of other places. Well, just Paris is uniquely places. beautiful. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's an extreme example of uh, uh, walkable urban uh, beauty. Um, I want to turn to... Um, uh, go beyond we're going to leap over the the belt line to your book uh mm-hmm. where we want to live subtitled reclaiming infrastructure for a new generation of cities um in that uh book uh we w- 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 catalyst infrastructure mm-hmm. is a chapter in your book and 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 in that um section mm-hmm. you talk about thinking be big including everyone promoting authenticity mm-hmm. compelling change inspiring life staying focused emphasizing people and banding together mm-hmm. uh let's start at the top and tell us uh, a little bit about thinking big yeah well if i can i mean i you know the, the purpose for writing the book was that the beltline is this incredible story where the citizens of atlanta fell in love with the future with an idea about their future and they empowered and ultimately obligated their elected officials and other partners civic partners to pull it off to do the hard work of the nuts and bolts expensive uh, politics and everything else to pull off this audacious project and of course we're only in the early stages of implementing it but the way that this project works is that people love it so much they love their city and the place that they live that they make sure that it happens and that it is built according to their vision and obviously there are some challenges with that because it's hard Um, but we're you know we're still 
on our way, and, and, and that's coming. I also, because of the success of the project, though, I get to travel all over the world and talk to people about the project, but I also see um, in their cities uh, that they're also reclaiming old infrastructure, not just old railroads, but degraded urban waterways. We mentioned the L.A. River, um, uh, obsolete urban, you know, obsolete roadways and other things, other kinds of linear infrastructure um, and repurposing those things to accomplish uh, the kind of lives that they want. So uh, the Beltline is uniquely large, uh, uniquely uh, broad, sort of programmatically. We have made a lot of success and demonstrated that success pretty clearly, um, especially on the economic side. But there, but there are a lot of other things happening. In my mind, this is a lot like the origin of sprawl that we started the conversation with. These are not; these are millions of decisions being made by millions of people over an extended period of time that, over time, radically change the not only the way that we live our lives, but the way that we build the world. And that certainly was true with sprawl. And I think that these projects are indicators of that kind of similar change. We don't know where what that future looks like, but but it's changing. So the the eight these eight lessons are really des- uh, around uh, not just from the Beltline, but what are for these kinds of catalyst infrastructure projects, which means infrastructure that catalyzes some other kind of change that's bigger than just that particular change. And so, what are the be- best lessons from that? And so, the, another reason for writing the book was to um, sort of illustrate that kind of thinking. I, I I might add here that you know you, there, there's a uh, distinct modesty. Oftentimes, uh, as I'm giving you credit, uh, uh, even off the air, for being the concept uh, originator uh, for the Beltline, you, you're you're quick to remind me that it's taken a cast of hundreds and oh, yeah. hundreds of people to to be yep. bring it to fruition. But what you do deserve credit for even beyond the original concept mm-hmm. is that you stuck with it. You know, you thought big, and it would yeah. have been easy to let it go once you yeah. saw what a daunting yeah. task it would be bureaucratically yeah. alone. Yeah. But you stuck with it uh, mm-hmm. to help see it uh, yeah. uh, in its uh, embryological stages, so, if you will. Yeah, so the thinking big is really about, you know, thinking big about our lives and making sure that, you know, what that it's a big enough idea to compel people to action. You know, small ideas we should be doing anyway. If it's a little thing, we should be doing it. Um, so thinking big enough because the change that's needed, I, th- I believe, is big. Of these, uh, one of the most important ones that I really th- like and I think is really important is, um, uh, well, two, one is compelling change, which is the be- the change is not the beltline itself. The change is what people do with it. You know how they live their lives and what kinds of lives that they lead and do with it. Um, and and so and the and the other one is to stay focused. This is like um, if we had started the beltline with with the question of how we were going to pay for it, we never would have done it. You know, it never would have gone anywhere. We had this audacious idea uh, for land we didn't own to be paid for with money we didn't have in a state that at that time anyway was pretty hostile to everything that. That we were proposing, you know, and so the but it was this beautiful vision, and then engineering and politics and budgets and all those things are are put in service to that big idea, you know. So the idea of staying focused is on that idea. What is what are those lives that we want? Before we think about how we're going to pay for it, but think, before we think about what we did last year, before we think of what the technology is and do we is that even available? What kind of lives do we want? And then all that stuff falls in line to help us achieve that kind of outcome. And and you engaged a lot of people along the along the way. Right. I want to uh, take we, we're 
running out of time here, and mm-hmm. I want to touch on uh, the generator concept mm-hmm. and how the generator concept uh, uh, is uh, being fueled by uh, the aftercar concept. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that uh, and how that fits into the six-pitch universe, if you will. <laughs> it's a lot, but if you... Uh, well, six-pitch is my consulting practice, and I'm doing, you know, I do, I work for myself, basically, and I... Um, do consult on sort of big ideas. So I'm working on a 3,500-acre park uh, inside 285 uh, with the Nature Conservancy right now. It's just an idea, uh, but it's a park bigger than Stone Mountain Park, but inside 285 made up of landfills and truck yards and degraded urban land all organized around the South River. Um, and I've done some work, a cool project with the city of Atlanta called the Atlanta City Design, which, is, again, is about how you design growth so that it we grow into the, a better version of Atlanta, not not some other place that we don't like or recognize anymore. But Generator is a separate thing. It's a, a nonprofit that about generating ideas about the future of cities. Uh, obviously, I'm a big believer in ideas. Uh, the Beltline was a great idea. There are lots of ideas within the Beltline, you know, of how we can execute it correctly. Um, I also have other ideas about other things. Um, But along the way, I've met a lot of people who also have ideas, and a lot of those ideas are ideas that we need. Um, They are uh, from voices that we're not currently listening to. And so Generator is about creating a place that supports people with ideas, uh, giving them a platform for those voices, and so that we're listening. I mean, for people here in Metro Atlanta who don't know, we're 5.5 million people now. We're going to grow to 8 million people in 20 years. That's like moving Charlotte to Atlanta in 20 years and not doing anything about regional transportation. So you think traffic is bad now. You think all the challenges that the region faces are bad now. Get ready because it's going to be serious. And so if we're going to manage that change, if we are going to survive that change individually or as our communities and businesses, then we we need ideas. We need more belt lines. We need more things like that. And it doesn't just have to be civic infrastructure. It can be about technology or like automation. It can be about finance or medicine, health or ecology, climate, whatever, or the intersection of all those things. But Generator is designed to be a place where people come together around ideas to support each other, find support, uh, find volunteers, find expert advice, find funding or whatever. Generator is not providing that, but it's a venue for that kind of dialogue and a magnet for people with ideas so that we have a chance of hearing those ideas and getting them out there. Um, The idea with Aftercar, though, is that a nonprofit is tough because raising money is tough, especially if you're pushing the envelope or doing anything interesting. And um, so Aftercar is this sort of for-profit restaurant, bar, uh, that co- cohabitates with Generator. It's going to be on the Beltline in the basement of the Telephone Factory Lost, right at Ralph McGill on the Eastside Trail. Got a beautiful view of the Beltline. We're opening um, in uh, August with an event venue. Ultimately, it'll be a restaurant, um, and it'll be the revenue stream to support the nonprofit's work. That's a beautiful model. Um, you. And um, if you hadn't heard about it, uh, you've heard about it today, and so look for it uh, to come and. Uh, go and uh, eat and drink and uh, help facilitate uh, the generator concept. Ryan, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the business hour and shedding light on the work that you do. It's great to be here. Thank you. We've been listening to Ryan Gravel talk about uh, basic principles of reclaiming infrastructure and other aspects of good urban design. I uh, hope we shed a little light on uh, and, and a positive light on the on the future of urban design uh, in, in beyond Atlanta. 
You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio and the Internet next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.